0: But uh, over the last few weeks, we've been looking specifically at the armor of God, going through and looking at each piece of the armor. And, uh, you know, hopefully most of you realize that you are in a fight, that you are, you do have an enemy. And the Bible says that he's looking for somebody he can take advantage of. And uh, so he's constantly looking for somebody who's not paying attention, somebody who's checked out, somebody who's not uh, really being mindful. And, uh, you know, and if you're saved, you're a target. It's just the truth. You know, and even a minute ago when I was talking about, even as we're worshiping, that that, that is a, a form of spiritual warfare, which is true. But part of that is that we're declaring what God's word says. It's not just songs that we're singing, but we're declaring And something happens when we begin to open up our voice and begin to worship God. So it's a, it's a supernatural, it, it, it's spiritual in nature. It's not just as simple as, well, we're just singing a song. There's, it's much deeper than that. You know, and not only does the enemy hear it, but also we hear it. You know, I say it, uh, I've said it quite a few times, but the most dominant voice in your life is your own. And it's one thing to listen to them lead us in worship. It's another thing when you begin to worship and you begin to hear your own voice. And you begin to uh, really experience uh, uh, that moment. And, you know, worship is such a a pivotal part of our life as a believer. And so, (coughs) excuse me. I know it doesn't specifically talk about it uh, here, but worship is part of our armament, if you will. Uh, There's, you know, several accounts where you can go look throughout Scripture where as people would begin to focus on God and even through praise and through worship, think about Jehoshaphat. Hey, pull the the frontline soldiers back and let's send the musicians and the singers out forward. Well, they never fought that day. God did their fighting for them. Why? Because they prioritized Him first. And, uh, you know, and God will give will give us strategies to combat what the enemy is doing. You know, the, we've been talking over the last couple of weeks is that, uh, you know, we've talked about uh, not being foolish or, uh, you know, but understanding that, hey, the devil has schemes and tricks, but, you know, God also has plans too. When it's the enemy, we call it schemes, but it, that word is actually stratos, which is actually where we get the word strategy from. So the devil has a plan, but God also has a plan too. And, uh, you know, and so there are some things we've been some things we'll share this morning with you about this is that God, we don't have to be ignorant of God's plan. When we're facing something, God has a plan for us to overcome that situation and that circumstance. And sometimes it's just a matter of saying, OK, God, what's your strategy and what do I need to do? You know, and there's been times that um, in my own life where the Lord gave me specific things and I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense. God is not logical. That's why you're going to face a battle. And he says, hey, take the praise and worship team and put them out forward. That doesn't make any sense. They're going to get slaughtered. They're going to do, throw drumsticks at people. I mean, like they're going to war, right? And uh, you know, I mean, okay, well, what do you do for the other? I mean, what's the guitar player going to do? He's got one whack with his guitar. I mean, what are you going to do after that? It makes no logical sense, but God is not logical, but yet His weapon and even the way in which He fights is different. And so, you know, uh, this morning we're going to look specifically at the helmet, of, and we'll look at the verse here in a few minutes in Ephesians, the helmet of salvation uh, is what we're looking at this morning. And, uh, you know, uh, let me just give you a little bit of detail because uh, Paul was writing and he was really using a Roman soldier's attire to help communicate spiritual truth. And, uh, you know, in Jesus' time, we would have called that a parable. Now, we don't call this necessarily a parable. That's what he's doing. He's simply taking a natural thing to relate a spiritual truth. And, uh, and so, uh, the Roman helmet, I'll give you a few little details about it. Number one, it was very heavy. Like, extremely heavy. You know, like when you see those football players who look, look like they have no neck. You know what I'm talking about? The neck's so big, it's just kind of like shoulder and head. And there's no neck, really? Why? Because their neck muscles are huge. Well, a lot of the Roman soldiers, uh, they were known as having very big, thick in the south, we'd say stout boys. You know what I'm saying? Like that boy over there, he's stout. Yeah, the Romans were very in shape. But uh, it was very heavy, but, uh, and I'll give you a few more details about that. But it was also very ornate. It wasn't just a piece of metal strapped to their head. It wasn't just like a football helmet, and uh, you know, necessarily. But uh, it had most of them had very intricate carvings on them, pictures, and all kinds of things drawn on them. And I'll tell you, there was actually a reason. Uh, well, I'll tell you here in a few minutes. But uh, but some of the things that were common were to have a beautiful scenery. So if somebody loved the mountains, they would probably have a mountain range. Or if they loved this or that, and some of them would even have food. And some of them were even their helmets were even shaped into the the uh, shapes of animals. So, like, you know, when, like, I oh, would use this. Oh, here you go, Adam. Here's your little shout out. The Packers fans wear what on their head? Cheese. A block of cheese, right? <laughs> it's kind of the same thing in a way. I mean, we do it in sports where people wear the goofy little hats and all there to support their team. Razorback to put a pig on their head. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it, but amen. And, uh, but, uh, so they would. Uh, so they would shape these things in different forms, but for the uh, most part... And then also, one of the other things that was very common was they were very ornate. Now, remember, this is battle, but they would have what's called a plume. Some of you have seen it. It's the feathers that go straight. It looks like a mohawk. Well, some of them, depending on the use of the helmet, because some of them were for battle and some of them were for show, and the more decorative ones were for show, but some of them would be look like a mane would go all the way down, even down their back. And, uh, you know, so they were very ornate, and so it's... It, it, it's interesting that Paul uses the helmet to describe salvation because it's very intricate, it's very ornate, but it was also something that gathered, that gathered attention. A Roman didn't walk by that you didn't look because it was a piece of artwork that was walking. Because we take artwork for granted many times a day, but I mean, can you imagine hand tooling and carving an entire scene onto the side of a helmet? And so it wasn't common, and yet everywhere they went, it made a scene. Well, as believers, we're saved, we're redeemed. We should be making a scene, not in a foolish, arrogant kind of way, but there should be a noticeable difference between us and those who do not have Christ in their heart. Not like we're better, but in the sense of what do you have, and how do I get it? There's something about you, and, and you know, and even, and I believe that's much of what. Uh, one of the reasons that Paul was really relating this to um, the attire or to um, the helmet. And so one of the things about this helmet was that it was, as I said, it was very heavy. And uh, and so it was fit very tight to the helmet, to their head, for obvious reasons. When, you know, when you're playing football, you don't want your helmet spinning around backwards, do you? Why? Because you're going to get blindsided because you can't see anything coming from anywhere. No, and so it was fixed very tightly, but it was made of brass and um, also leather, and it had a very thick sponge-like part on the inside of it so that it could actually absorb a blow. Think of a, Again, think of a football helmet. That's the closest thing I... You know, we have padding on the inside. Why? Because they're trying to keep from having concussions. Well, they were wearing these helmets, and they, had, they were padded. Why? Because, for one, there wasn't anything that could penetrate that helmet. Not a sword, not a battle axe. You know what a battle axe is? Looks like a huge axe. Even somebody smashing you with that, couldn't break through that helmet. Well, that force has got to go somewhere. And if that metal is just sitting straight on your brain, you're going to get knocked out. And so they were actually pretty smart. And the way they designed the helmet was even for that. And so, um, you know, and so it was this real thick padding so there would be no harm. And so it also protect, it, was, so it would protect the head, the cheeks, and the jaw. It came all the way around. Uh, On the sides. And so, and that was really just trying to protect their vital organs. And, you know, I don't know how many of you have ever been hit in the mouth with something, but it hurts pretty bad, or the jaw, or, you know, those types of things. And so they were trying to the best of their ability to protect the head. Because here's, you know, one of the things that many of you, I think most of us can understand, is that you can have a part of your body that hurts and still function pretty well, right? When your head, when there's something wrong up here, everything else can stop. I mean, you get a bad enough headache, you're like, I just put me in a dark room and leave me alone. Why? Wow, and it's that, that pressure. And so what they were trying to do was to protect the head. And yet Paul tells us here, if you're going to protect your spiritual mind, you're going to have to have a helmet. It's the, the helmet, which is salvation. And so we have to be mindful, and this is different than just knowing the Word of God. Because you can quote scripture all day long, and many people do this, and yet it have no effect in their life. When we're talking about salvation, what we're talking about is actually applying that scripture to our day-to-day life where we can now live differently, walk differently, think differently, be different. Um, you know, and so uh, let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. This is our kind of our one of our main verses, main uh, text, if you will. But starting here in Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse 10... He says a final word, be strong in the Lord. So our confidence is not in ourself, our confidence comes from the Lord and in His mighty power. So you may not feel strong, but God in you is mighty. That's important to note. He says in verse 11, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So you have an enemy, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to uh, resist the enemy in the day of evil. Another way you could say that is uh, put on God's armor so that you can win every time the enemy comes. We don't have to live defeated lives. No, so that we can stand strong even in the midst of adversity. It says, then after the battle you will still be standing firm. Verse 14 says, stand your ground putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. He says, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. And in verse 17, he says, and put on salvation as your helmet. Put on salvation as your helmet. Now, one of the things that we need to understand about this is the word salvation simply means this. It means that Um, to be delivered from something to something. So when we get saved, what happens? We get delivered out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Is that not what Scripture tells us? We get delivered. We get rescued. God sent Jesus for what? To rescue us from the power of death and hell and of sin. That was the reason that Christ came. So we were delivered out of sin and death into newness of life that's what I mean that's the simplest definition I can give you for salvation now it's a very broad spectrum but ultimately that's what God does God wants to deliver you from sickness and deliver you into health God wants to deliver you out of poverty and into blessing that's the way God works he moves us from one place to another that is God's desire in every area and you're like well how do I know if it's God's will Look in the word, but is it for your blessing? Is it for your good? That's one of the ways, because why? Because God's not out to harm us in any way. God's not trying to teach us a lesson. He's brilliant. He doesn't need bad things to teach us anything. He doesn't need that, but it's important that we understand how God works. And even how salvation works, because salvation is really a three-part Aspect and and so you know and we call it being saved mostly in our vocabulary today. But there's really three aspects, which is I I am saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. It's a threefold part. So part of it is fixed, done, nothing else to be accomplished. That's that's my spirit, man. It says the moment that I became saved, I became what alive unto God. I was separated from God because of my sin. I was born into sin. And so I was separated from God because of the ultimately because of Adam and Eve's fall. But the moment that I asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life, what happened? I, my heart was changed. The Bible says that I had a heart of stone that was resistant to God. And the moment that I asked Jesus to come into my heart and truly meant it, because I prayed it many times, just because you pray don't mean you're saved. I know it's not real popular to say, but the truth is just because you come to church and just because you prayed a prayer one time doesn't mean that you're saved. Because the Bible says you actually have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And this is how I qualify just from my own personal experience. So I'm not saying anything against you. I'm just telling you what happened to me. I prayed a prayer many times and I never changed. When I met Jesus, I changed. And I didn't have to try to change. I changed. Not Now, there were some things that instantly changed and some things were a process. So, but when I got saved... My spirit, man, is saved right now. Fully saved. 100%. My soul is being saved. It's in the process. In other words, and we'll look at this a few I'm learning how to live saved every day. My soul needs to be saved every day. It needs to be renewed. It needs to be strengthened. And then my flesh, this body, will be saved. You know, whether I die or whether Jesus comes back whichever happens my body will be saved because this body is dying from the moment I was born it began to decay and so but, my, but the, even the Bible says that our body is grown waiting for the expectation of the return of Christ so my spirit man is saved my soul is being saved my flesh my body will be saved So we have to understand that there is an aspect of it's finished, it's happening, and it will come. And that's happening in all of us. But really what Paul is talking about here, he's talking about the soulless realm. He's not talking about our eternal destination. I don't have to worry every day when I get up of, oh man, am I going to go to heaven if I die today? No, I'm going to go. Why? Because my spirit, man, is fixed. That's a finished work. But my experience of salvation in this life is not determined by my spiritual salvation. My experience in this life is largely dependent upon the salvation that I have walked in light of in my soul. Like, Let me give you an example of this. How many of you know the verse that says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom? Now that that verse actually means absolute freedom, absolute liberty, no restraint. No holding back. Now, let me just ask you a question. You don't have to answer. You don't even have to move. You don't even have to blink. Are you free in every area of your life? Well, how can that be? If the Spirit of God is in me and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, complete, absolute liberty. Then why am I not walking in freedom in every area of my life? Because you have need of salvation In the soul. I have need of salvation in my soul. And so if I want to experience more of the power of salvation, I actually have to apply it and and, and just like well, okay, you're talking a bunch of weird stuff I don't understand. You've got to learn to think the way God thinks. You've got to learn to think in line with the Word of God, not what my experience is, not what my thoughts are, not what somebody else with an opinion has to say. What does God say? Because that's going to protect my thought life. It's going to protect what I meditate on. This is more than head knowledge. This is heart application. It's one thing to know truth. It's another thing to walk in truth. There's a lot of people that walk around and say, Jesus is Lord of my life. No, he's not. Lord means supreme master. If he ain't in charge, he ain't Lord. So you can call him Lord. That don't mean squat. It's when he challenges us, do we say, yes, sir, or hold up? There's a difference. Our response is, yes, sir. If we're going to walk in the light of Scripture. Because we all have that hesitation moment when the Lord challenges us, <laughs> us in an area. And we're like, mm, nope, I don't, I don't want to do that. Let me pray about it, Lord. I'll get back to you. Okay, go ahead and pray because you're going to hear the same thing. I'm going to say the same thing again to you. Now we have to, the Bible talks about this, and we'll look at that. I may just quote some of it, but in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it talks about the transformation of our mind. We have to think the way that God thinks. We have to think in accordance. And it goes on, it says that, you know, and it really gives us the idea that, man, we have to be transformed by what? The renewing, the replacing, the, really the replenishing of our mind and our thought life. And it says here, and Paul's giving us the example, he says, The helmet of salvation, which is going to protect you, but it better be fastened on tightly. Many people hold on to their salvation loosely, and they wonder why they get blindsided. It's because their helmet's done spun around and they can't see where they're going, and the enemy comes up and smacks them. No, I want to make sure that I have salvation firmly fastened. It's not a casual conviction. No, this is what leads and guides my life. Is the man who died for me and bled for me and paid the price for me? That's the the lens through which all of my life now goes. And so when I understand this, and I begin to find Scripture, and I begin to apply Scripture to my life, not just in a mental part, but really like, okay, God, I know that this verse was for me. I'll give you an example of this years ago now. The Lord, I was just reading the Bible one day, and a verse really stuck out to me, and it became a verse that challenged me for several years. And I had to ask the Lord to help me to figure it out. And it was this, it was in Proverbs, and it says that the Lord delights in just scales. And to me, on that particular day, that verse stood out to me. Now I know that's a kind of obscure verse. You're like, well, what does that mean? And in my life, I was extremely out of balance. I was extremes, just one way or the other. And what the, what I've really, and what the Holy Spirit began to stir in me was, I want you to be more balanced. In your time, specifically. I was a workaholic. I worked all the time. Some of you still think I am, but there are days of that. But I, but the Lord began to tell me, David, you need to learn to rest. See, the problem was I couldn't even take a day off. I felt guilty for taking a day off at all. I mean, for my adult life, all I did was work seven days a week. It's all I knew. Why? Because I found my value from what I did. Well, that's not healthy. I need to find my value from who I am in Christ, not by what I do. Well, that's unhealthy. Is working good? Sure. You ought to be productive. We were created to be productive. Before the law, Adam had a job. Take dominion over the garden. Adam had a job. Now, it wasn't by the sweat of his brow. That was part of the curse. Before the curse, Adam had a job. So I'm not saying anything against that. But it had gotten out of balance, and it took a a specific verse. Well, then I had to do something with that verse. And for several years, I had to have the, the help of the Holy Spirit to help me learn it's okay to say no. It's okay to... Let something drop. It's okay. The world's not going to fall apart if I don't do every little detail. And to be able to say something like this, which is hard for my personality, it's good enough. That's hard for me because it can always be better. It's clean, but it could be cleaner. It's organized, but it could be better. And I, I mean, some of you all probably laugh at that, but I've had to actually have the Lord help me learn how to chill out a little bit and just say, that's okay. Because in that drive, and part of that, why? Because God did not save me to wear me out doing stuff. God saved me so that I could live a life that would glorify Him, that I could influence other people, and I can experience His goodness and His power. And I'm going to do some stuff along the way. But He saved me so that I could know Him. That I could walk with Him. And that's what's important. So here's the thing, is that we've got to learn to think like saved people. When you got saved, you still thought like a heathen. All of us in varying areas still have some thought of ungodliness that we carry. Some of those are strongholds, some of those are iniquities, they're family things that we've learned. Just by the family that we grew up in, we learned certain mentality, certain things, certain approaches to life. And so now we're still carrying those. Well, for that to be broken, you're going to have to learn to think like a saved person. And it doesn't just happen in a moment. We have to put on the helmet of salvation. We have to choose to renew our mind by the word of God. Don't be foolish enough to to believe that, man, I've got it all figured out. This is what one thing that I am supremely confident in. As long as I'm breathing, God is still working on me. Amen. Forever. I will never be a finished product this side of heaven. Right. And so with that in mind, I want to make sure that I'm taking the word of God, not just in theory, not just in mental ascent. I actually want to apply it to my life, to my heart, to my soul, so that what? So that I can wage a good war. Because the thing is is that when I apply salvation to my life and I understand what God has done and what he's wanting to do, is that every time that I overcome an obstacle in my life, a stronghold in my life, every time that the devil loses ground in my life, guess what? He's losing ground. I mean, think about somebody with leverage in your life. They kind of, you know, use you know, this example. But somebody has like something they could blackmail you with. You better do this or I'm going to tell them what you said. And they're pressing you and pushing you, right? And they're using what they know against you for what? To get you to do what they want you to do. Well, What happens the day that you're like, tell them. You want me to go tell them? Let's go right now. Why don't you just come along? They've lost their power in that moment. Why? Because you're just like, I got nothing to hide. When we allow the word of God to change us, what happens is the devil loses his influence. God already knows, but yet he will try to get us to believe a truth that's just not the reality. Like, we got something to hide from God. He already knows it all anyways. So devil, I'm not, and so, what happens is, when I allow the word of God to change me, the devil loses those areas of weight in my life, and he can no longer manipulate me. And so what happens, I'm able to be more focused even when I'm in a battle. Why? Because I don't have this secondary thing going on back here. The devil's not coming at me from multiple fronts. It's, hey, it's me and you. Now, I'm not talking about a physical fight here. Ephesians talks about that. We're not in a physical fight. No, this is spiritual. And yet, there are things that we can do. And so even when we're talking about... Uh, This, you know, and we have to understand what the word of God says to us about even our thoughts, even our mind, even our really the core of who we are. I mean, you know, I'll give you an example of this that I've seen. You can have somebody who's blessed financially. They're doing pretty well in life. They've got, you know, stuff, whatever, a house, car, whatever, a boat, you know, whatever their thing is, they've got it. But they still think very poor. And they're afraid to be generous. Why? Because, you know, like I'll give you an example of this. My grandfather, my dad's dad, was from the Depression. He lived through that time. Well, they lived very differently. Why? Because they remembered what it was like to go stand in line to get milk. Yeah. We don't think about getting much about getting milk. I mean, go to the store, get milk. Not a big deal. They had to stand in line for food. Well, they lived very differently. And even though later in his life, my grandfather became fairly prosperous, I guess you could say. I mean, you know, he did what he wanted to do as a retired man. And so, you know, but he was extremely tight, extremely tight. He thought poor, even though he had the ability to do more. He just thought poor. Well, the same thing can happen with us. We can be delivered, we can have the power of God, we can sing and dance and shout and say how great God is and yet still be bound in the same old areas that we've always been bound in. Not experiencing the true freedom of salvation that Christ came to give us. I mean, freedom is ours. Right now. But just because it's ours doesn't mean that we walk in it. But it's not because God didn't do His part. He's already done it. He's done everything He can do for us. But we have to allow the Word of God to come in and to change our heart, to change our mind. We have to learn how to train our minds to think correctly in terms of our salvation. When we get that firm foundation and that solid knowledge, it becomes a helmet over our life. It's not theory, this is actual application. We allow the, the Holy Spirit to breathe in our heart, to breathe in our life, and to challenge us so that we can change and become into the image of Christ. That's what the Bible says we're supposed to do. Supposed to do is to become more and more like Him. In First Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 7, the Apostle Paul, he's speaking here and he, he says, um, the wisdom that we speak is the mystery of God. It says His plan that was previously hidden, even though He made it, for our ultimate glory before the world began. So he's talking about salvation. What he was going to do in Christ. He said, Look, this was the wisdom of God. it was hidden for a time. Nobody fully understood. Nobody recognized Jesus being the Messiah. Many didn't, even until after and, and let me say even after his death, burial, and resurrection. I mean, you ought to listen to a guy who says, Look, I'm going to die, but in three days I'm coming back, and then he does it. Might need to pay attention to what he's saying, and yet even the people who saw it firsthand didn't believe it. One of his disciples, Thomas, even after he was raised, said, "I won't believe it until I take my finger and I put it in his hand, and I put my fist in his side." This was somebody who walked. I mean, this was one of the twelve. Having walked and seen Jesus for three and a half years, being fully convinced that he was Messiah. Jesus is raised from the dead. I I won't believe it until I see it. Until I I see him. For myself, I will not believe it. So many people walk through life from that. Until I see it, I I won't believe it. You've got to learn how to step over and, and where you put faith in the word of God that says, I believe before I see. My promise, my salvation is this. And here it says that even though that God's wisdom was hidden before, you know, all of that, all of those thousands of years. In verse 8, it says, the rulers of this world have not understood. It says, if they had, they would have never crucified our glorious Lord. If the devil knew what God was doing, he would have never done what he did. He wouldn't have done it. That was really good English, by the way. Verse 9, it says, That is what the scriptures mean when they say no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Now a lot of people take that verse and they whack it all out. Oh, you just can't know what God's going to do. He's a mystery. Just never never know. God, God might surprise you one day. Just out of nowhere. The very next verse says, but... It was to us that God revealed these things by the Spirit. God had a mystery. He's revealed it to us. That mystery of salvation through Christ alone. There's no other. Jesus is the only way. There's no multiple ways to God. There's one. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I mean, I don't think that leaves much room for question. Jesus is still the only God of any religion who has been raised from the dead. So, I don't want to talk to dead people. I'd rather talk to one who has risen. It says, so God has revealed, us, revealed these things to us by His Spirit, for, this, for His Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. The Holy Spirit will reveal to you anything that we need to know for our life and for our relationship and walk with the Lord. God doesn't have a bunch of secrets He's keeping from us. No, He wants to reveal Himself and His plans to us. It says, no one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. You ever thought that, you know, seen somebody's actions and perceived it to, well, they must have done that because of this, this, or this. And then you talk to them and you realize, oh, their motivation was totally different than what I thought. Even though I was convinced, I knew why they did what they did. And here it says, look, no one can know a person's thoughts except the person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except, through, or except God's own spirit. So if you want to know what's on God's mind, ask the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 12, it says, And we have received God's Spirit, not the world's Spirit, so that we know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. Verse 13 says, When we tell you these things, we do not use words from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using spirits, the Spirit's words to explain spirits or spiritual truth. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive the truth from God's Spirit. I remember uh, when I first got saved, I tried to talk to a few of my friends about being saved and they looked at me like I was crazy because they weren't saved. And they're like, what is wrong with you? You've changed and I don't like it. That's really what happened. Trying to talk to unsaved folks about what's how You got to get them saved. And it's amazing how you think everybody's crazy at church until you got saved and then you're like, oh, they're not as crazy as I thought. <laughs> Why are they worshiping? Why are they crying? I was carrying on. It's foolishness. (laughs) Then all of a sudden you experience the presence of God and you're like, Oh, that's what that's about. I didn't know. So people who aren't spiritual can't receive truth from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the spirit means. Verse 15, it says, those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. For who can know the Lord's thoughts and who knows enough to teach him? Now, that's referencing an Old Testament scripture. And he says, but we understand these things for we have the mind of Christ. So, I'll paraphrase in my modern day language. We need to think like Jesus did. Jesus wasn't insecure about who he was. He knew he was the son of God. Not because he was God, but because God spoke it to him. You are my son and whom I am well pleased. Jesus didn't have an inferiority complex. He knew who he was. So his identity was fixed. He also knew what he was sent to do. I've come to do the will of the one who sent me. He knew that. Again, he had to discover that. It wasn't just that he was born at two years old. and Like, hey, I'm the Messiah. Y'all be nice to me. <laughs> he had to find himself just like we do. He had to find his purpose just like we do. He wasn't exempt because he was Jesus. So we have to learn to think just like Jesus did. We have the mind of Christ. Now, over in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I want to read you a couple of verses here. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm going to read this out of the HCSB Bible, I just like the way it says it, but it'll be up here on the screen. Now we're talking about the helmet of salvation. Just stick with me, I'm getting somewhere, trust me. Verse 3 says, For though we live in the body, we do not wage war in an unscriptural way, or unspiritual way. It says, Since the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God, For the demolition of strongholds. It says, We demolish arguments in every high minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to obey Christ. You know, Christ said about himself, or I'm sorry, um, Peter said this about Christ, said that Jesus came to what? To destroy the works of the enemy. That's why Jesus came. He came to completely destroy all. Well, it says here is that we take um, God's weapons, our armament, if you will, to destroy and demolish every argument and every high thought that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God. And we bring it and we take it captive. That word actually means to like stick a knife in the back and to force somebody to go a direction that they don't want to go. So, in our modern day language, you're going to make somebody do it at gunpoint. And it says, take every thought captive and make it go where you want it to go. Nope, that thought doesn't line up with the Word of God. You got to get out of here. Take it captive. Take authority in that moment. Make sure that's applying the helmet of salvation. We have to do this. We have to take care of those thoughts that come because a thought going unchecked and a thought left left alone will multiply Will produce destruction, will rob from you what God wants in your life because you just left it. You wouldn't let an intruder move into your house. Hey, just move in the guest bedroom. You ain't got to steal anything. Just stay here and enjoy it all. You hungry? Can I make you a plate? Sandwich maybe? Cookies? Milk? What's your name? Got a beautiful guest bedroom. You just want to stay here? You can just move in. No. Get out of my house. And if you don't do it quick enough, I can motivate you. Right? I mean, we wouldn't do it in that situation. Why do we let the enemy do it in our thought life? You don't belong in my house. Get out. You don't belong in my mind. Get out. Don't set up shop and don't feed them. Run them out. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 8 It says let us who live in the light be clear-headed Don't be James calls it don't be double-minded Let those who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as a as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. Wearing as a helmet, salvation. The New King James says it this way: that uh, as a helmet, or that the helmet is the hope of salvation. The Amplified adds and says that it's the hope and the confident assurance of salvation. Part of our um, of really the helmet of salvation is this: is that we have hope. The, the Bible actually gives us instructions and says that we don't hope like those who are in the world. Is that we actually have a different hope. Here's the quick, I don't have time to teach on this, but I'll give it to you quickly. Hope is a confident expectation of good. That's all it is. But do you know without hope, your faith can't do squat? It takes hope for your faith to work. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. So without hope, faith has nothing to give substance to. So if my marriage is falling apart, but I don't have a picture of what a solid, strong marriage looks like, I have nothing for my faith to go to work with. So I have to say, okay, I acknowledge my my marriage is falling apart, but God, I'm going to get a picture. Me and my wife love each other. Our our home is happy. We're peaceful. We ain't arguing all the time. What does a good marriage look like? What would it look like if your kid had come back to the Lord? What would it look like if you were healed and restored to full health? I have hope. I have a confident expectation that God is going to work for me. That's hope. But you got to have hope. The helmet of salvation is this, partly, in a large part, I believe, is that I have an expectation that God wants to do better for me than what I have right now. And so I'm not going to let discouragement come and frustration come into my life and stay. A discouraging thought may come. You can't do that. Okay, Philippians 4 says, I can do all things through Christ. Devil, you're right. I may not be able to do that. But Christ in me, the hope of all glory, says I can. I mean, I was thoroughly convinced that I could not talk in front of people. Thoroughly convinced. Failed speech three times in college. Praise the Lord. Thanks, God, you called me to preach. Awesome. I'm not exaggerating. I could not talk. I would get so nervous. I couldn't even get a word out. Not kidding. No exaggeration. Absolutely true. I couldn't think. My mind would just go blank, and I'm just. And the devil kept saying, you ain't called to this. This ain't what God has for you. You need to go do something different. I mean, I dealt with severe insecurity for a long time. Constantly, the devil coming and talking, whispering things to me. I mean, I'm talking about from a young kid all the way up through teenage. I mean, I could, I, could, I mean, I was probably, I don't know, my late 20s or 30s before I ever became secure just to be me, and to be okay with that. It took me a long time to get there. And it wasn't until I'd found my identity in Christ, and my value was in Him, because remember what I said earlier about being a workaholic? That's why I was such a workaholic, because I found my value in that, because I was insecure. So I worked like a maniac, to do everything for everybody, so everybody would say I was great. So even the motivation wasn't money, it was That's where I derive value from. So I had to learn how to put on the helmet of salvation and say my value is not in what I do. My value is in who I am and who I've been made to be. That changed my life when I actually understood that. In a very deep way. But that took the Holy Spirit walking with me. And teaching me and helping me to understand and to unlock some spiritual truth. But I had to actually get to a place where I could see a different future for my life. I would have to see it in my mind's eye. Me actually preaching and talking. And saying, God, I can do this because you've called me and you've equipped me. And because I can do all things through Christ. And I had to be able to see that first. Because I couldn't see it. This is how I passed speech in college. I started preaching persuasive speech why is the Bible true that's how I passed with a B praise the Lord the best B I ever had in my life I just took everything I said how can I take scripture and apply it to whatever I got to talk about I got five minutes surely I can make it some of you would love it if I just talked for five minutes now like is that even possible at one time that was a big deal No, hope is vitally important to our hearts and our minds. Hope believes that there's something better in the future. I kind of got on this a moment ago, but hope is truly the ignition point to faith. That's where faith starts is with a picture of something better. This doesn't have to stay this way. I don't have to be in pain. I don't have to have lack. I don't have to, you know, be in a dead-end job with with no opportunity to do anything better. No, I I have an expectation. Here's the thing about hope. Let me say it this way. When you lose hope, you diminish really God's ability to work in your life. So what we don't want to do is to ever diminish or lose sight that God is on our side. The greater one lives on the inside of us. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So when the enemy comes, you might need to say that to yourself a bunch. Greater is he on the inside of me than he that's in the world. Greater is he on the inside of me than he that's in the world. And you may have to keep saying it. By his stripes, I am healed. By his stripes, I am healed. Woman with the issue of blood, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. If I just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. What happened? She got the thing that she hoped for. She received it why? Because she would not let go. She never lost sight that God was on her on her side. And so, here's the thing that you have to do is you have to hold on to your hope. It is your confident expectation for good. Believe that God will work on your behalf and watch Him do incredible things in your life. But you got to believe. You know, here's just a, a little bit of a. A side thing that I, that I want to give you as an example, because I believe many times spiritual things in the natural just seem so ordinary. But I, I want to give you the wisdom of God, and I, something that practically happened in my life as an example of this, because it was the helmet of salvation. Why? Because the word salvation means to deliver, to save, to heal, to restore. All you know That's what salvation means. It's a lot of information. But sometimes God's salvation looks very much like nothing. A number of years ago, I don't remember how long ago now, it's been quite a few number of years ago, I was in Colorado snowboarding. Praise the Lord. Jesus is in the mountains, people, I'm just telling you. <laughs> cool, crisp air, praise God. And um, But I was up there, and it was actually over Super Bowl weekend, I remember it pretty well. We had gone over with several families uh, from our church in Kansas where we were, and uh, so we went over, I don't know, it was the only weekend, obviously, because Super Bowl weekend, and I remember... I'd been there. I think we got we went early because, you know, I just get in as much as you can. I think I was on my third day of snowboarding at that day and had another day the next day. And, um, and so, you know, just having a good time, been on the mountain for three days, and we're sitting there watching Super Bowl, sitting at this house. And, you know, families, there's, I don't know, 15, 20 of us there, there's a lot of people. And um, we're sitting there, and so one of the family members had one of their sons work at Breckenridge. Uh, and so he was there, and I, I overheard him make a statement. And this was so subtle, because I wasn't even a part of the conversation. I'm watching the game, talking to other people. But he made the statement. He says, the only people that don't wear helmets are are out-of-towners. They're the foolish ones. All the locals wear helmets. I was like, okay, well, that doesn't say anything to me. I mean, I don't go jump, you know. I ain't jumping off cliffs and doing crazy stuff. But but the longer I sat there, the more it just bothered me. I mean, like, and we're at the beginning of the game. And I mean, just... Something on the end, just that kept going in my heart. Only fit, foolish people don't wear helmets. Only foolish people don't wear helmets. Over and over and over. I told Derek, I said, at halftime, we're going down to the ski shop and I'm buying a helmet. <laughs> this is not, I mean, I, absolute truth. The next day, I'm on the mountain, the last run of the day, or right at the last run. I'm in the big middle of a ski slope. Now, I don't know how many of you know this. I don't know how many of you ever, ever been snow skiing. The dangerous place is in the trees which I spend a lot of time in anyways because I just like it. And, uh, you know, it's an adrenaline rush, whatever. But um, never wore a helmet, never thought I needed one. Thought I was cool because I didn't wear a helmet. This is the end of my fourth day. I'm pretty physically exhausted. But I'm just cruising down, nicely easy run. I cannot tell you what happened. I took a corner. I was, several guys were behind me. I took a corner, came around it. Next thing I know, I'm cartwheeling down the mountain. Head over heels. <laughs> Landed right here and right here. Just sliding down the mountain. I don't go too slow. So I had some momentum. And I got up and I didn't really think a whole lot about it. I was like, man, I'm, I don't know. Like, what just happened? Because that shouldn't have happened. I have no idea. Still don't. I mean, it was like somebody just grabbed the front of my board and just jerked it. Flung me. Head over. Just Head first. I didn't know it till later that night. I split that helmet. Brand new helmet. First day I'd ever worn one. Not that far up. Right on the backside, right where I hit. I mean, snow is not light and fluffy on the mountain, it's pretty hard. What would have happened had I not had that helmet on? I know that's just a natural little example but I know this because I was wearing a helmet I was protected and if I had not been wearing that helmet I don't really know what would have happened I have no idea I don't want to know but I know this the Holy Spirit prompted me the night before to the point where he was like you need a helmet and I was fighting I'm like ah whatever fighting against fighting against fighting against it. we can fight against the wisdom of God if we want but if we fight it, we may also pay the consequences for fighting it. I was thankful on that day that I didn't fight it. I still have that helmet, by the way. It's a good reminder to me. Pay attention to the little nudges. Those little things that, you know, because it seems like, well, what's the big deal? I'm just just on vacation. Just having fun. And yet that little prompting of the Holy Spirit and I'm glad he wouldn't let go of it I got real motivated real fast because it just just really started to bother me the next day I knew why see and God will do that and and, and in the same way God will speak to you about your life and about your situations your circumstances don't ignore those little whispers pay attention to them it will protect you why? because that's God's salvation that's that helmet of salvation the Holy Spirit's trying to help us to walk in. And when we do it, God will protect, God will provide, God will make a way, God will deliver, God will give you His strategy to deliver you from everything that the enemy would try to do against you. And all we have to do is to walk in His wisdom. That's the help of salvation.